Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The word of God from Psalm 149. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. His praise in the assembly of the godly. This is God's word. Psalm 149 is at the very, very end of the book of Psalms. As you probably know or might know, there are 150 Psalms in the Bible. And the last five Psalms, 146 through 150, are called the Hallelujah Psalms. Because they all begin and end with the same Hebrew word, Hallelujah, which means... Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. They are songs of praise, these last five psalms. Psalm 149 is a psalm of praise. And those words begin and end the psalm. In your English Bible it says, Praise the Lord at the very beginning, and praise the Lord at the very end. So it would stand to reason... If you begin the psalm with the words, praise the Lord, and you end the psalm with the words, praise the Lord, that what comes in between must have something to do with praising the Lord, naturally. So the psalmist, and we don't know much about Psalm 149, who wrote it, the circumstances which caused this psalm to be written, but the psalmist starts off by saying, or singing, if you will. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. His praise in the assembly of the godly. The assembly of the godly is where this new song is sung. What is the assembly of the godly? Well, an assembly would be a gathering together, right? We're an assembly this morning. Anywhere people are assembled together, people are brought into one place, that's an assembly. But in this instance, it's the assembly of the godly. The godlike, if you will. Isn't that what it means to be godly? If you are manly, you are like a man. If you are womanly, you are like a woman. If you are meekly doing something, you are like a meek person. If you are courageously doing something, you are being a courageous person. What does it mean to be godly? It means to be like God. Who are those that this psalmist deemed to be the godly? Was it the people who did the good things? Was it the people who brought the best and fattest sacrifices into the temple? Was it the people who had no sin? They were holy and they never did anything wrong. And they can point to their lives and say, see how good I am? I'm godly? Actually, the psalmist tells us who the godly are in the very next verse. Let Israel be glad in his maker. Let the children of Zion, in other words, the people of Jerusalem, 
rejoice in their king. Let them praise his name with dancing, making melody to him with tambourine and lyre. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He adorns the humble with salvation. The psalmist in Psalm 149 is calling Israel the godly, the godlike. Who is he kidding? What do we know about Israel? Are they not the biggest bumbling batch of idiots we could find? Constantly grumbling against God and what he does for them. There isn't a false idol they don't chase after or a false god that they prostitute themselves in worship of. There is not a command of God that they don't toss aside onto the trash heap in favor of doing things their own way. Who does the psalmist think he is calling Israel the godly, ungodly, more like, according to what we know about Israel? So then, if we don't think Israel are godly, who are then the godly? Who are the godly among you? Who are the godly among us as a people living here in this place? Well, if Israel can be numbered among the godly, maybe we have a difficult time trying to figure that out. Perhaps in this day and age, we have a better idea of who those ungodly are, right? The people who commit heinous crimes. You know, crimes against children, they're certainly ungodly. The people who refuse to come to church, they're the ungodly. Certainly we would include them among them. The people who do horrible things against God's word, who who break the really important commandments, right? The the people who cheat on their spouses or abuse their children, the people who steal, the people who murder, certainly they would be among the ungodly, right? The people who worship false gods, right? People who aren't Christian, they would be among the ungodly. Does that make us the godly because we're here? Because we're in the house of God? Because we're not murderers or adulterers or... We're not among those really bad people. Does that make us the godly? How do we stack up against what is truly godly? How do you stack up against the word of God? Sure, on the surface, you might not be a murderer. You might not be in an adulterous relationship. You might not be worshiping a false god openly and publicly. But dig in deep into your heart. How about this, those of you who have computers? Would you let anyone and everyone look at your browser history? See what you do on the internet. There's a lot of ungodliness that happens online. But now imagine if there was a browser history, a listing of a catalog of the thoughts that go through your mind. Or what's inside your heart. 
You see, like Israel, ungodliness plagues and corrupts every single one of us. But godliness does apply because, thanks be to God, today we observe All Saints Day. All Holy Ones Day, if you will. All Godly People Day. You know, last week we celebrated the Reformation, and at the time of the Reformation, and this is still true for some Christians today, the saints are those who were really, really good Christians, right? Who were really notorious for something. We know that the Roman church has a whole process of making people into saints. They call it canonizing them. For example, within the last several years, Pope John Paul II, I believe, was canonized as a saint of the Roman Catholic Church. Okay? We tend to think of saints as sort of being the hall of fame of the really, really good Christians, right? But all saints invites us to reflect on what truly makes one a saint. In verse 4 of our psalm, it says, The Lord takes pleasure in his people. And again, remember, the psalmist is talking about Israel, and we know their wickedness. But then it says, He adorns the humble with salvation. And godliness is found there in that word humble. Being humble is not some sort of disposition you put on like, you know, I'm going to be really humble today. No. Humble is connected with some of the words that Jesus uses in our gospel when he talks about the poor in spirit. Or he talks about the meek. To be humble is to be brought low. It's literally to think little of yourself. Not like worthless, like I don't have any value or anything, but to realize the depth of your sin. Your brokenness, your guilt. And the psalmist reminds us that the Lord adorns the humble with salvation. Salvation is, of course, for all people, but salvation can really only be understood and appreciated by the humble, by those who've been brought low, who know the depth of their sin, who have plumbed the depths of their hearts and their minds, who know that by themselves they have no place among the godly. But that if God can make heaven and earth by only his word, and if God can form humankind from the dust of the ground, then certainly he can make a new people for himself, a godly people, by the power of his word. 
by the word of the cross of his son, Jesus Christ. The church, the people of God, the Israel of the Old Testament and the New Testament are a new people singing a new song to the Lord as the assembly of the godly because thanks be to God, we are the godly through the blood of Christ and through Christ alone. Not because of how often we come to church, not because of how much money we put in the plate, not because of the good things we do, not because of what we do for the needy, not because of anything in us, but entirely and completely because of Jesus and His blood, we are the godly. We confess in our sins. We use words. We we didn't do it today with setting four, but with setting three, Pretty much all of you know the words that we confess, I am a poor, miserable sinner. And that is indeed the truth. Because we know that sin and ungodliness dwells within us. But it is just as true, equally true, to also say, alongside I am a poor, miserable sinner, to say, I am holy. I am godly. I am sinless. I am righteous. Because Jesus Christ is all those things for me. The saints are those, St. John reminds us, who are brought out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes. And made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Your robes are washed. You are righteous. You are holy. You are godly. Totally and completely. By the blood of your Savior. The blood of the Lamb. Who takes away the sin of the world. You know, I've preached on the texts of All Saints Sunday. Let's see, I think this is now my 17th year preaching on All Saints Day. Wow, that makes me feel almost a little bit old. 17 years of the same text, because you get them every year on All Saints Day, right? And it wasn't until, I know, this reading from Revelation 7 that we heard today in our readings. I've read that text out loud in church at least 17 times. I know I've preached it at funerals before. This is the beauty of God's word, that every time you read a text, something new will reveal itself to you. Scripture is that way. None of us can fully know Scripture in this life or fully plumb the depths of Scripture. Just as you can't plumb the depths of how deep your sin goes within you, you'll keep going and going. You also can't plumb the depths of the treasures of Scripture. And one of the things that finally, like, clubbed me in the head, I don't think it was until yesterday when I was in Amazon, I did the readings up there. It hit me. What a comfort it was that John describes a multitude that no one could number. Those are the saints. 
There's so many of them that no one can number them. They're from every nation, tribe, and people. They're from every age of history. Because I think we often lament, you know, a few weeks ago, maybe you remember, I preached on the creation text from Genesis 1 and talked about how we needed to learn to remember that the world is something God created to be good and something that he makes good again. I think the same thing can be said about people, right? We're very mindful of how ungodly mankind can be. We're very mindful of the wickedness in other people. And if we're honest people, we're mindful of just how wicked we are. And yet, the saints before the throne of the Lamb are a multitude that no one can number. That the church which is constantly under attack, which we are constantly vigilant to speak up for and defend, that church is a multitude of godly people. There are godly people left in this world, and you are among them, every one of you. Because Jesus Christ makes you that way. His blood makes it so. We don't often see it as John reminds us in 1 John chapter 3. That what we will be will be seen when Jesus returns. And the world doesn't understand us because they look at us and they see our ungodliness. They see our sinfulness. They see just how broken we are. But though it often is not seen, though often our sins and our actions say otherwise, the blood of Jesus Christ takes away your sin. It makes you godly. And like that assembly before the throne in heaven, actually that assembly is you. It makes you a new people with a new song in your mouth and on your lips. To sing to your maker. To sing praise that the lamb who has taken away your sin makes you new and makes you indeed godly. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.